0: We are beginning in this session a series on Christian Hedonism, the foundations of Christian Hedonism. This is part one. There will be quite a few. I'm not sure how many. Don't have it planned out all the way yet. We will begin with Psalm 16, 5 to 11, so that we can build from the Bible because the only thing that matters is, is it biblical? Is it what God has taught us. Not is it clever with the word hedonism or even is it Christian, but is it biblical? Has God spoken it? So Father, I pray that you would make us a biblical people. And if Christian hedonism, as I believe it is, is faithful to your word, may it grip those who come and watch this series. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word hedonism is, I know, controversial, and in the end, it doesn't bother me if you reject the word and embrace the reality. But what I mean is this. A life devoted to pursuing the fullest and longest pleasure. And when you put the word Christian on the front of it, the implication becomes clear that the pursuit is going to be done in a biblical way, that is, a way that works, and the fullness of this pleasure and the Length of this pleasure will be found only in God through, let's abbreviate it, Jesus Christ. All right? Now that's the gist that hedonism in history is defined in the dictionaries and in the philosophy books as a life devoted to pleasure. And I'm qualifying it with Christians saying a life devoted to the pursuit of fullest and longest pleasure, which we're going to find here, is only in God. So that's where we're going. The Lord is my chosen portion, is my chosen portion and my cup. Two images of a cup and a kind of inheritance here and... As God portions out to me a cup and a portion, they're not forced upon me and I don't resent them. They are my treasure and my chosen delight. You, God, you, my Lord, and my portion, hold my lot. Lot is another imagery of of a portion. You get a portion in life, you get a lot in life, and the point here is he not only is, he is my portion, but he holds my portion or my lot. So he is all I need and he's in charge of making sure I get all I need. It's an awesome picture. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The lines here are the lines that um, are like borders around the inheritance or the portion that you get. It's an imagery of getting a lo- a plot of land perhaps uh, in which you are honored by your father as he gives you your portion. And so the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And yet it isn't the pleasant places or the beautiful inheritance that is his portion. That is the Lord. And yet the Lord clearly is blessing him. David had a remarkable a uh, life of blessing from the Lord. So he is now blessing the Lord. He's not blessing the pleasant places or the inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. So the Lord not only holds holds his lot and is his portion, but he's moving in and becoming his counselor so that in the night his heart with this counsel is instructing him in ways that he should go. You make known to me the path of life. That's where it's going to end. But right now he's just saying God has become my counselor and he has filled my heart with instruction so that even in the night, perhaps when I'm dreaming or waking. Up in the watches of the night. My heart is directed to the Lord as my portion. I have set the Lord, therefore, always before me. So, since the Lord is his treasure, the Lord is his portion, the Lord is his cup, he puts the Lord in his mind's eye before him as what he loves and what he's pursuing. And then the effect of that is that the Lord circles around to his right hand so he's in front of him here circles around to his right hand becomes his protection so that he's never shaken The priority is the Lord is my portion The priority is I keep him in front of me and the Lord throws in the added benefit that he's my right hand guard He protects me. I don't get shot from the side. I won't be shaken. Nothing will happen to me, but what he approves therefore my heart is glad. It's a big therefore, because all of this leads to this big therefore, glad, glad, glad. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. This whole being here is the word glory in Hebrew, translated tongue when this text is quoted in the uh, New Testament. So, not sure. All that this implies sometimes translated soul sometimes translated whole being glory tongue so his his heart is glad he perhaps with his tongue is giving vent to his joy and then he adds and by the way it's never going to be taken away This is so important to see the gladness here, the security and duration of it here, because that's where we're going. We're going down here to fullness of joy that lasts forever. So this security corresponds to that forever, and this gladness corresponds to that joy. That's where we're going for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your godly one see corruption. You're going to make me secure all the way through death. This is the ground for why this security won't even be broken by death. And this, as the New Testament makes plain, ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. I mean, David did rot in the grave, not ultimately, but Jesus was brought out of the grave and his, his soul did not see corruption. And so Jesus is the ultimate ground for David's hope here, as uh, Acts chapter 2 makes plain, and Acts chapter 13. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your godly ones see corruption. And now comes the all-important sentence. You make known to me the path of life. Where does this path lead? It leads to life. Where's that found? In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now here's my question for you. Would you not agree that when God says, or when David says about God truly, you make known to me. When God makes known to us a path and says, there's life in this and at the end of this path, do you think God means, and it's a matter of indifference whether you take the path or not. I'm just showing you options. It doesn't really matter which path is is, is the one you take. If it's right for you, it's right for you. We all know that's not what these words mean. You make known to me the path of life means this is the path you assign to me. This is what you tell me to do. This is my duty to walk on this path. You don't give me paths without the paths, being paths I should should walk on. So it is our duty to go on the path that leads to fullness of joy. It is our duty to go on the path that leads to pleasures forevermore. And we know, and he insists that we know, that that fullness and that duration are in the presence of God and at the right hand of God. So here's Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism affirms That the greatest fullness of pleasure and the greatest duration of pleasure are found only in God through Jesus Christ. Not merely in his gifts, but in God himself as supremely great, supremely beautiful, supremely valuable. And Christian hedonism affirms that it is the God-given duty, therefore, of all people, all people, to pursue the fullest and longest pleasure, namely, pleasure in God, at His right hand, in His presence. Or, as Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life that you intend for me to walk. You intend, you intend as my duty for me to walk, namely, into your presence, where there's fullness of joy, into your right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. That is our duty. Christian hedonism says, hedonism is a life devoted to the pursuit of fullest and longest pleasure. It is found only in God through Jesus Christ. One more observation. You may have heard our favorite expression of Christian hedonism, namely, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And you may wonder why I, who's doing this series, why I don't begin this series on Christian hedonism with that, that glorious, beloved sentence. The reason is that this sentence is an argument for the duty to pursue God as our greatest joy. We should pursue joy in this way because our satisfaction in God, above all else, glorifies Him. That's what that sentence says. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. And because that's true, therefore, we should make it our duty to pursue joy in God. We are starting this series not with arguments, but with the practical final implication for life of Christian hedonism, namely our practical, daily, lifelong, all-transforming duty of pursuing God as our greatest joy. Then, in the coming sessions, we will give the arguments. I think I have, I don't know, ten or more, the arguments for this duty and this favorite sentence, this favorite sentence will be the most essential argument for why we should pursue our joy in God because God created us to glorify him and he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So now we're off on the series on Christian Hedonism.